Let us hear the word of God. Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. Bring charges against your mother. Bring charges, for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Let her put away her harlotries from her sight, and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born, and make her like a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy on her children, for they are the children of harlotry. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in, so that she cannot find her paths. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold which they prepared for Baal. Therefore I will return and take away my grain in its time and my new wine in its season, and will take back my wool and my linen given to cover her nakedness, Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she has said, These are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the bales to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, says the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground, Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, and with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth. And I will, not, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, You are my people. And they shall say, You 
are my God. We're going to read in connection with this from our Heidelberg Catechism. We hope to begin a series of new series of sermons on the Catechism. And we're going to turn to Lord's Day 1. And you can find this in the back of your Psalter on page 27. Lord's Day 1, questions and answers 1 and 2. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father not a hair can fall from my head, Yes, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. How many things are necessary for you to know that you enjoying this comfort may live and die happily? Three. The first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. The third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. The God who reveals himself in his holy word is a God of comfort. God comforts his people. And there are many illustrations of that in the Holy Scriptures, both in the Old and the New Testaments. But one of the most striking is the passage that we have read together from Hosea chapter 2. If you remember correctly, the book of Hosea depicts the relationship between God and his people Israel. And one day, God commanded his servant, his prophet Hosea, to go and marry a prostitute. And her name was Gomer. And he did this. And at first their marriage went quite well. And Gomer even gave birth to three children. A boy by the name of Jezreel, a girl by the name of Lo-Ruhamah, and then another boy by the name of Lo-Ami, and their names are all significant. And you can read of that in the previous chapter in chapter 1. But as time went on, we read in chapter 2, Gomer left her husband and her children, and she resumed her life as a prostitute. And as you can imagine, Hosea was very upset by this. From what we can gather, he loved Gomer, his wife. And now that she returned to her life of prostitution, he felt understandably betrayed by her. And so he responded by preparing charges against her and filing for a divorce. He even threatened to punish her and to take away all of the things that he had given to her in order to sustain her physically. And you understand that what we have here is an analogy describing the relationship between God and his covenant people, 
Israel. Like Hosea's wife, Gomer, the people of Israel committed adultery, spiritual adultery. They prostituted themselves with their idols, with the Baals of the land of Canaan. And for this reason, God would have been perfectly just to divorce them, to break the covenant that he had made with them and to have nothing more to do with them. But he doesn't do that. Instead, amazingly, he comes to them in Hosea chapter 2 and he speaks comfort to them. If you look at verse 14 of Hosea 2, you can see it with your own eyes. God says there concerning his people, Behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. There's that word. God will speak comfort to his people Israel. These idolatrous, wicked, unfaithful people. God comes to them through his prophet Hosea and he says, I will speak comfort to you. Well, as I mentioned before the scripture reading, we hope this afternoon to begin a new series of sermons on the Heidelberg Catechism. And the very first question of the Heidelberg Catechism, as I think you all know, has to do with comfort. It's the comfort that God provides his people. And this is the subject we want to turn to with the Lord's help this afternoon. Our theme is the believer's only comfort. And we'll consider, first of all, the need for this comfort, secondly, the substance of this comfort, and then thirdly, the enjoyment of this comfort. First then, the need for this comfort. Question and answer one of Lord's Day, one of the Catechism asks this question, what is your only comfort in life and death. Now, comfort, you understand, is a theme that runs through the entire catechism. Several questions and answers of the catechism ask, what is the comfort of a certain teaching or a certain doctrine of the Word of God? In fact, you could argue that the theme of comfort undergirds every Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism, even if the word itself is not actually used. But what does this word mean, this word comfort? Well, in today's world, this word comfort has lost its depth and its power. Comfort today has come to refer to something cozy, something relaxing, something that feels good. So we speak, for example, of a comfortable sofa or a comfortable easy chair. You can go on vacation and you can, you can spend a night at the Comfort Inn. You can relax with a glass of Southern Comfort and you can snuggle up under a warm comforter. That's how we use this word comforter. It's something comfort. It, it's something that, that gives us the warm, fuzzy feelings. It makes us feel good. But that's not how 
The Heidelberg Catechism uses that word here in this Lord's Day. When the Catechism uses the word comfort, it's not referring to physical comfort. Do you understand that? It's referring to spiritual comfort. And it implies that we need such comfort, whether we realize it or not. And why do we, re- why do we need this comfort? Well, it's because we have sinned, isn't it? We have sinned in Adam. Adam was our representative. Adam was our federal head. And that means that when Adam fell into sin, we all sinned in him. And so the guilt and the penalty for sin that Adam incurred also falls on us. Just as Adam must die, so you and I also one day must die. Death is the wages, the just wages of sin. Now, in addition to our original sin, we also have our own sin, our actual sins. Yes, we sinned in Adam, but we continue to sin every day. And there are so many sins that we commit every day. There are sins of omission. Those are, those are things that we're supposed to do that we don't. And there are sins of commission. These are things that we're not supposed to do, and we do. There are sins of thought. There are sins of word and of deed. And our sins are so great that they're like a great mountain. And that mountain of sin separates us from our God. Because God is holy. And we are sinners. He cannot bear to look upon evil and iniquity. And so sin separates us from God. It cuts us off from God, who is our life. And there's nothing we can do to remove that mountain. There's no payment we can make. There's no sacrifice we can offer. There's no duty or religious ritual that we can perform. We are without hope. We are destined to spend an everlasting eternity in hell. That's what we deserve because of our sin. And even after we've been converted by the Word and Spirit of God, we continue to sin. You see, the believer has two natures. We have a new nature and we have an old nature. The new nature causes us to pursue after holiness and righteousness and to live our lives to the glory of God, but the old nature is always pulling us in the opposite direction and it wants us to to commit sin. And most of the time, thankfully... Because of the Spirit of God who dwells within us, and because we're made new creatures in Christ, the new nature is dominant. But sometimes, the old nature is stronger. And when that happens, we fall into sin, sometimes very grievous sin. You think of David. David was a man after God's own heart. He had this new nature. But when he saw Bathsheba bathing in the street below, the old nature got the better of him and he fell into very very grievous sin and the result of all of this sin whether it's the sin of Adam or the sins that we commit every day the result of all of this for the believer is sadness it's misery it's a sense of alienation a sense of being cut off from God And that, in turn, produces misery, sadness, 
And the person who's asking this question knows this. He he has experienced this himself, and he's looking, as it were, for a way out. He's looking for an escape. He's looking for some comfort. Comfort from sin. Comfort from the terrible effects of sin. And it's like he's, he's walking along the road, and there he spies this, this Christian. And he knows that this man, this woman, is somebody who enjoys comfort. And he figures he must know the answer to the question, what is your only comfort? So he comes to him and he says, he says excuse me, I, I, I know that you're a Christian. Tell me, I'm, I'm laboring under sin and I'm laboring under the effects of sin and, and I see that, that you have this comfort. Tell me, how can I be part of that? What is this, this comfort that you have? What is your only comfort in life and in death? You notice the wording of the question, what is your only comfort? The questioner knows that the believer doesn't have many comforts, that the comfort of the gospel is not just one of many comforts. No, he's, he's only got one comfort. And he wants to know what it is. And it's a comfort that comforts him in life and in death. This comfort is not temporary. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. It doesn't only arise under certain circumstances. No, it's a permanent and long-lasting comfort. It's a comfort in life, in all the various situations that life brings, in all of our trials, all of our hardships and our tribulations and afflictions and sorrows. There's a comfort in life. And it's a comfort in death. We stand there, or lie there rather, on our bed, on our deathbed, and we're facing certain death as we tread the verge of Jordan, as the hymn writer says, and we, we, we enter into worlds unknown. That comfort is there as well. And so there's, there is a comfort, and the questioner wants to know, what is that comfort? What is it that will give me comfort in both life and in death? So how do we answer that question? Well, the world has an answer to that question. The world, the world says, oh, you want comfort? I'll give you comfort. The world says, you can find comfort from sin and its effects, from the terrible things that are happening in this world. You can find comfort in drugs, in alcohol, you can find comfort in multiple sexual relationships. You can find comfort in material things, the latest fashions, the fanciest cars, the nicest homes, vacations, if you can afford them. You can find comfort in self-help techniques, developing a better body image, Increasing your self-esteem, promoting positive thinking, practicing yoga and all kinds of forms of Eastern meditation where you basically shut off your brain and you let go of all of your inhibitions. Rose says that's how you can find comfort. But none of these things offer us the comfort that we need, congregation. In fact, in some cases, 
In many cases, especially in the case of drugs and alcohol, they only make us feel worse. And they destroy our lives in the process and our relationships and and they make us feel more sad and more depressed than we ever did before. And in the end, when people discover that there is to be no, found no comfort in these things, they despair of life, and they, in many cases, they take their own life, and you see it all over the place. You just go to downtown east side. There's people dying every day. A fentanyl, drug overdose. Because they've lost hope. They have no comfort in life. And the comfort that the world says, you know, the world says, the government says, oh, we'll offer you safe injection sites. We'll offer you free drugs even. Safe supply. That's what we're being told. And, and people fall for this lie. And they, and they go to these places and they get their free drugs and they go to their safe injection sites. And it gives them a, uh, it gives them a high for a while. And for a while, all the, the pressures of life are gone until the effects of the drug wear off. And they find themselves in the same miserable situation. With that same gnawing feeling of emptiness and loneliness and despair. And our catechism offers us a better way. The Word of God offers us a better way. The Word of God offers us a solid comfort. A comfort that goes with us every day. A comfort in life and in death. You say, what is that comfort? That's my second point. It is Christ. It is belonging to Christ. In answer to the question, what is your only comfort in life and death, our catechism responds by saying that I, with body and soul, in life and in death, am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Congregation, when we come to believe in the Lord Jesus and we come to embrace him as our Lord and Savior and King, that we become his property. Paul even called himself the Lord's slave. That doesn't have the negative connotation that we often associate with it. Being a slave of Jesus Christ is the greatest privilege you can ever have because he's the greatest master, the most loving, kind, compassionate, considerate master we can ever have. But the point is, when we come to Christ, he takes ownership of us. We become his property. It's like buying a new house. When you close the deal, you sign all the papers, the house becomes yours. You take ownership of the house. Paul expresses this in several of his writings. I think, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, he says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God, in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God if you're a believer in Christ today. And in Romans 14, verses 7 and 8, he says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We belong to him. The believer belongs to Jesus Christ. And that is our only comfort in life and in death. 
Our only comfort in life and in death is knowing that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, many people today would not look at that as such a great comfort. They would look at that as another form of bondage. Who wants to belong to somebody else? Who wants to belong to God? You see, the natural man, he doesn't want to belong to anybody. He wants to be his own man. He wants to live his life the way he wants to live it. He doesn't want to be accountable to anyone or to anything. He wants to do his own thing, live his own life without consequences. And so utterly foolish because you see the effects of that thinking all around us. And it's a, it's a path that leads to just utter despair and hopelessness. And our catechism says, no, our only comfort is that we belong to Jesus Christ. Why? Why is that such a comfort? Well, because when we belong to Christ, we become partakers of great and wonderful blessings. Blessings that meet our every need. Blessings that the world cannot meet. And what are those blessings? They're listed for us in question and answer one. Satisfaction, that's the first thing. Satisfaction. Our catechism says he fully satisfies for all my sins. When we belong to Jesus Christ, he fully, not partly, but he fully satisfies for all, not just some, but all of my sins. You see, congregation, when we fell into sin in Adam, we incurred a debt we cannot repay. It's a huge debt. But what we cannot do, this is what Christ did when he went to the cross He poured out his soul unto death. He shed his precious blood to satisfy that debt. He paid the debt that I incurred for my sins unto God with his precious blood. Precious blood. Far more precious than all the gold and diamonds of this world. Because that blood of Christ secures for us peace with God and everlasting life. And this is the first great, wonderful blessing that we receive when we belong to Jesus Christ. Satisfaction. The penalty paid. The penalty wiped out. So that we can stand before God as though we had never sinned. The second benefit that's mentioned here is deliverance. It says here, he delivers me from all the power of the devil. Now, isn't that a wonderful benefit? By nature, we are all under the power of the devil. We are children of the devil. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are children of the devil, and the will of the devil you will do. That's us, by nature. And that power is so great. Satan has us in the grip of his hand. And there's nothing that we can do to break free from that power. We are his slaves. That's how we're born in this world. 
that's how we will remain unless the Lord changes us and brings us to himself. But we are doomed to be his slaves forever and ever. But now get this. When we belong to Christ, that power with which Satan holds us is broken once and for all. Christ broke that power again when he went to the cross. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, we read these words, Inasmuch then as the children, that's us, have partaken of flesh and blood, he, Christ, himself likewise shared in the same. So in other words, Christ became incarnate. He took upon himself our flesh and blood. Why? That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's how we are by nature. We are in bondage, in bondage to the devil, in bondage to death. But when Christ, when we belong to Christ, that bondage is broken. And we are released, we're set free to enjoy, as Paul says, the glorious liberty of the children of God. There's a third benefit, preservation. We read here, he so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yes, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. This is so precious. Because left to ourselves, congregation, we would never persevere. We'd never make it to the finish line. We might be able to take the first few steps, perhaps. Well, we can't even do that, frankly. But you'd never make it to the finish line. Our faith is so weak, and the devil is still so strong, and our old man is still so strong. We'd never make it. And Christ says, I'll solve that problem for you. I'll enable you to persevere. I will preserve you. He said in John chapter 10, all of my sheep are in my hand and no one shall snatch them from there. I will bring every one of my precious sheep unto glory. And he will ensure that all the difficult things that lie on our path, on our journey to the finish line, he will turn to our salvation. He will turn all of our evils into good. Paul says, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Yes, God will use even the painful moments of our life, the confusing moments of our life for his purposes, to advance his kingdom, his power, and his glory within us. He will preserve us to the end. Fourthly, Assurance, assurance, he assures me by his Holy Spirit of eternal life. Oh, how we need that too. Because in the race of faith, we sometimes, we sometimes become discouraged. We look at our lives, we see how many sins there still are in our life, and, and we wish it wasn't so. 
We wish we could be free of sin once and for all, but those sins are there, and sometimes they're so powerful, they're so, they're so strong, and we feel ourselves so much under the, under the dominion of Satan at times, and we wonder, is it really true for me? Have I really been saved by God? Do I really, am I really belonging to Jesus Christ? And if, and if I do belong to Christ, why do I sin like this? And we can sometimes be led to doubt and, and even to despair, and Christ says, I'll fix that. I'll give you assurance. I'll give you my Holy Spirit who witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God who produces fruit within us. And when we see the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit within us, that we say, oh, I must be saved because these things don't come from myself. These are the works of God through his Holy Spirit. And that in turn assures us that we really are the children of God are remaining sins notwithstanding. Fifthly, and finally, he gives us new life. Our catechism says, he makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. By nature, we don't live for Christ. We don't want to live for Christ. We want to live for ourselves. And as we said earlier, even after we've been saved by him, we, we still find that tendency within us don't we, to, to want to, to live the way we want to live and rather than the way God wants us to live. But, but Christ says, I'll take care of that. I'll give you my Holy Spirit. And by the power of my Holy Spirit, I will make you both willing and ready to live unto me in all things, to hate sin, to fight against sin, to fight against temptation, to overcome it even in the power of my Holy Spirit. So this is, this is fantastic. This is, I've said this before, when you become a believer in Christ, Christ gives you this, this treasure chest and it's, it's so full of riches. And here, here are the riches of belonging to Christ, satisfaction, deliverance, perseverance, assurance, and new life. Isn't this wonderful? Is this not a great comfort. Isn't this exactly the comfort that we need? One of the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism, his name was Zacharias Ursinus, kind of a foreign-sounding name. Uh, Ursinus actually is from a Latin word meaning bear, so it's really Zachary the bear, you could call him. And he wrote a commentary on his own catechism. And in that commentary on this, on this particular Lord's Day, he, he fleshes out uh, the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. And he, he asks his readers uh, to imagine uh, Satan coming to the comforted believer. Okay, so Satan is here, and the comforted believer is there, and Satan is accusing him. And he's seeking to undermine his faith and trust in God. And so Satan stands there and he points with his accusing finger at the comforted sinner. He says, yeah, but you're a sinner. And um, what does the comforted believer say in response? Ursinus says this, he says, yes, but, but Christ is satisfied for my sins and redeemed me with his own precious blood so that I am no longer my own but belong to him. And then Satan comes with another accusation. He says, but thou art a child of wrath and an enemy of God. 
And the believer says, I am indeed such by nature and before my reconciliation, but I have been reconciled to God and received into his favor through Christ. And Satan says, but thou shalt surely die. And the comforted believer responds and he says, Christ has redeemed me from the power of death and I know that through him I shall come forth from death unto eternal life. And Satan says, but many evils in the meantime befall the righteous. And the believer says, but our Lord defends and preserves us under them and makes them work together for our good. Satan says, but what if thou fall from the grace of Christ? For thou mayest sin and faint, for it is a long and difficult road to heaven. And the believer says, Christ has not only merited and confirmed his benefits upon me, but he also continually preserves me in them and grants me perseverance that I may neither faint nor fall from his grace. Satan comes again and he says, But what if his grace does not extend to thee? And thou art not one of the number of those who are the Lord's. And the believer says, But I know that this grace does extend to me and that I am Christ's. Because the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God and because I have true faith. For the promise is general, extending to all them that believe. Satan comes again and says, But what if thou hast not true faith? And the believer says, I know that I have true faith from the effects thereof, because I have a conscience at peace with God and an earnest desire and will to believe and obey the Lord. And Satan comes one more time, and he says, But thy faith is weak, and thy conversion imperfect. And the believer says, Yet it is nevertheless true and genuine. And I have the blessed assurance that to him that hath shall be given. And Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Now that's the comfort of belonging to Christ. And beloved, the good news of the gospel is that this blessed comfort can be yours. You say, how? It's my third point. We've seen there's a great comfort in belonging to Jesus Christ, but beloved, understand well, this comfort does not become ours automatically. We don't become partakers of this comfort by being born to Christian parents, by being baptized, by being incorporated as a member of the covenant of grace. Those are wonderful privileges. Wonderful blessings, but they in and of themselves do not make us partakers of the comfort of Lord's Day 1. We become partakers of this comfort only by knowing certain things. And what are these things? Well, they're mentioned in question and answer 2. The question is asked, how... Many things are necessary for you to know that you, enjoying this comfort, may live and die happily. Now, you understand that this word know here is not just referring to an intellectual knowledge. We're not here speaking of head knowledge. We're speaking about heart knowledge. This is an experiential knowledge. This is a knowledge that has its origin in God and that is wrought in the heart by the power of His Holy Spirit. It's through 
conversion. It's through regeneration and conversion that we come to know these three things. And what are these things? Well, first of all, how great my sins and miseries are. And secondly, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. And thirdly, what gratitude I owe to God for such deliverance. You can summarize it with three words that all begin with the letter G. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. And what we have here is really an outline of the entire catechism, which in turn is really a summary of the entire gospel. And so Lord's Days 2 to 4 of the catechism concern how great my sins and miseries are. They talk about our guilt. Lord's Days 5 to 31 is all about how I may be delivered from my sins and miseries. So that speaks about the grace. And Lord's Days 32 to 52 describe what gratitude I owe to God for such deliverance. It deals with the whole subject of gratitude. I don't have the time this afternoon to deal with any of this in great detail. I'm thinking about maybe preaching a separate sermon just on question and answer two next week. We'll see. But suffice it to say that in order to enjoy the comfort that is described for us in question and answer one, we must know these three things. We don't have to know everything there is to know about these three things. That is impossible. We will never know everything there is to know about our sin. We will never know everything there is to know about how we can be delivered from our sins. We will never know everything there is to know about the life of gratitude, but we need to know something. There must be at least a beginning of these three things, of knowing these three things in our life. And if we don't, we have no business claiming that the comfort of Lord's Day One is ours. So we need to know these three things, just three things. God doesn't make it complicated. He doesn't say you've got you to know a hundred things. He doesn't say you've got to know a million things. Just three things. And you understand that this knowledge is not static. It grows over time. It's not like a rocket ship. You know, a rocket ship consists of these various parts, and when a rocket ship goes up from its launching pad, it loses uh, various segments of the rocket. As the rocket goes up, it, it sheds various parts and it no longer needs until eventually there's only this small capsule on the top that enters into outer space. We must not think of these three things like a rocket ship, you know, that once we're finished with guilt, it sort of falls away, we're done with guilt. We no longer have to hear sermons about guilt. Well, we can just go on and hear about the grace and the gratitude. No, that's, that's a wrong way of thinking about, about, this, uh, about this question and answer. It's a wrong way of thinking about, about the Christian life. Uh, the fact of the matter is we're never done with these things. Uh, uh, Lord's Day 1, question and answer 2, is, it's not like a rocket ship. It's more like a, like a series of concentric circles that go higher and higher and become wider and wider. So we start very small when the Lord begins a work of grace in our heart. We, we know very little, but just enough about our sin and misery and about who Jesus is and, and, and what he's done for sinners and, 
and we begin after that. We, after we come to faith in Christ, we begin, however slowly, however feebly, like, like little children learning to walk, we, we, we start on that life of, of gratitude. But, but as we grow older and as we mature in the faith and as the Lord strengthens that, that good work that he has begun within us, within us by his Holy Spirit, then we, we began to stand upright and we began to take longer steps and strides even until we, until we come to the final destination. So we're never done. And our prayer should always be, Lord, teach me more of my sin. Teach me more of of the grace of Christ. Teach me more what it means to live the life of gratitude. This is how we know. This is how we become partakers of the comfort of Lord's Day One. Beloved, let me ask you as I close, do you know something of these three things and are you growing in your knowledge of these three things if you have to confess this afternoon that you know nothing of these things then the call of the gospel comes to you again and it says repent and believe and come to christ christ is so willing he is so able to comfort you and to bestow upon you all the gifts of his salvation. If you will only repent, if you will only believe on the name of the Son of God, oh, he will allure you, as Hosea says, and he'll bring you into the wilderness so that it's just you and him. And as you're standing there, he will speak comfort to you. The comfort of Lord's Day 1 that you belong to Jesus Christ and therefore you are partaker of all of his benefits. Oh, do you need that comfort this afternoon? Don't look for it in the world. That'll only bring you disappointment. Look for it in the only place where it can be found in Jesus Christ. It's in him and him alone that we find our only comfort in life and in death. Amen.